Gigwitch and welcome back. Before we get started, I just want to make, um, I guess, a bit of an announcement. Uh, so it's been about like five or six days, I think, there and thereabouts, since I did the last one of these videos. Now, the first week, um, I, I did pretty much one a day, maybe one, yeah, about one a day uh, for the whole week. That's because I was, I, I had that week free, I had nothing on that week, and so I could spend all day, every day, just doing this. Um, I'm back to school now, I will be in school for the next few months, and so it'll probably be, I won't, I don't want it to be just one week, I'll try and do two a week, but I'm going to, first and foremost, take the time that I feel I should take um, on this, I, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to rush it, essentially, I'm going to try and take as much time as this needs, if it's two a week, one a week, one a month, whatever, just so long as I, I take the time that I need, and I say the truth, I preach the truth, Remember, my job, my responsibility as someone who runs a ministry, even though it is just an online ministry, still a ministry, still leading people. My job is to rightly divide the word of God. My job is to read the word, study the word and preach the word to help you get a better understanding of it. Um, and, and to preach the gospel. And I suppose this does sort of act as an evangelistic effort in a way as well. Uh, so look, that's my job. My job is not to churn out new stuff every day or at, at a certain time. The videos will be out when they're out. I'll try and have some consistency. But I am not going to sacrifice the quality, I suppose, the biblical quality. I'm not going to sacrifice good biblical teaching uh, in order to just keep churning them out, churning them out. As it happens, I could probably churn out one of these videos, probably about the same length um, a day right now if I wanted to. Bush, they would suffer greatly, and I probably wouldn't be rightly dividing the word as well. So, yeah, I'm. I it's, there's going to be very slow to come out from now on, unfortunately, but I feel it necessary because that is my job. Um, I have to take this seriously. So, that all being said, let's sort of get into it. Uh, today we will be continuing our study of the gospel according to Saint Luke. We will be finishing the, uh, for lack of a better term, Zechariah section of the Gospel today. In the next video, we will meet Mary, the mother of Jesus. After that, we still have a little bit to get through before we finally meet Jesus, and a little bit after that before he actually begins his ministry. But while I would like to study the ministry of Jesus, um, and I am very much looking forward to, to that, I really am looking forward, and I can't wait to get to study Jesus and his preaching and all of his stuff, all of his miracles, everything, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not in any rush. As I explained um, a few moments ago, I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm not here to rush through it. Today, we will be looking at the concept of true biblical prosperity. Now, in the modern day, it might seem like the words biblical and prosperity don't belong in the same sentence, which is a shame because, as we are going to see in this passage, God does, in fact, bless his people. The reason so many people are against this idea is because of the prevalence of a system of theology known as the prosperity gospel. Though it offers neither prosperity nor gospel, that is its that's, that's its name, the Today, I will be looking at what the Bible actually teaches about prosperity versus what the so-called gospel teaches. And I say um, so-called because, I mean, technically it is a gospel. Gospel means good news. It doesn't mean true good news. 
So I mean, the prosperity gospel is great news. Pay me and you'll become rich. Give me, sow a seed and you'll become rich and famous and healthy and all this stuff. That's great news. It's not true, but it's good news. So technically, it meets the definition of the word gospel, though it is a false gospel. Now, if you somehow haven't managed to figure it out by now and you're still wondering, I don't teach the prosperity gospel. But why not? Why do I consider it a, why do I consider it a false gospel? Well, I hope to answer both of those questions today. So let's get into it. Now, I'm going to read the uh, entirety of uh, uh, verses 5 to 25, just as we're leaving this sort of section, I suppose. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the stuff in it, and as well as that, it's just good for getting the context of what we're going to be talking about to see more about Zechariah and see what he's been going through. So this is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Make ready for the Lord uh, a prepared people. To make ready for the Lord a prepared people, sorry. And Zechariah said to the angel, How should I know this? For I am an old man and my wife was advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at, the, at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home after, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus says the Lord, sorry, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me and took away my reproach among people. So the passage we're going to be studying today specifically is after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's what we're specifically going to be looking at. So in this passage, we see how God blessed Elizabeth by giving her a child. Now, Elizabeth then hid that fact um, 
for about five months she didn't tell anyone she was pregnant for about five months actively hid it and we're not told why she did this and i don't really think it's worth getting into you know we could get into all different theories and all different stuff and so on and so forth i don't think there's any great theological significance to it uh, i think if it was important luke would have either hinted at it or just flat out said it but that's the way you know some people are um, I, i've known people i know women who've gotten pregnant and have just decided not to tell anyone for a while so I don't think that's really worth delving deep into. What is worth getting into, however, is her immediate response, not her prolonged response over the five months, her immediate response is what I want to get into. This great thing happens to her, and her first response was to recognize that it was a work of the Lord. That is something we must always remember. Whenever good things come our way, it is a blessing from God. There are a lot of heretical and sometimes even blasphemous views about how God blesses us. Plenty of people in the modern day teach that it is always God's will to heal people. However, these same people also say that you must have faith and, quote, sow a seed in order to get their, uh, in order to get their blessings, for, in order for them to get their blessings. Uh, which usually come in the form of miracles, um, healing, miraculously, that sort of a thing, although it can just come in the form of good, cold, hard cash. Or at least that's what form they would come in. Those are the forms they would come in if these preachers weren't lying through their back teeth. The effect of this teaching is that when the miracle doesn't come, and it won't, and these people know that it won't, then they can blame someone else. Essentially, when people teach this, this is what they're saying. I, me, I promise you that if you have enough faith and you give me enough money, God will work in your life. If God doesn't work in your life, then you didn't have enough faith or you didn't give enough money. Whether the problem was faith or money, you better pay me more either way, just in case. By saying this, they can ensure that when the promises that they make don't come to pass, and they know that they won't, they have two easy scapegoats. Now, they can blame it on God, though most never actually do this, because then that would introduce the idea that God can choose not to heal people, which undermines their own preaching. Instead, what most people do is that they simply blame the person who wants to receive the blessing. Either they didn't pay the preacher enough, in which case they should pay them more, obviously, or they didn't have enough faith, in which case they should try and get more faith, uh, somehow, and then display this faith to the preacher by paying that preacher money, of course. Compare this with what we see in Luke chapter 1. The angel appears to Zechariah and says, What? Hey there, Zach, how's things? Listen, fella, you know that child you always wanted? Yeah, well, it's yours, and for a good price and all. What? What do you mean, why do I have to pay? Of course you have to pay. Anyway, what you have to do is go on over to Rabbi Osteen and give him literally every cent you own. Now, if that doesn't work, then you didn't have enough faith and must give more to Rabbi Osteen. Got it? Good. See ya. Now, is that the message that the, um, the angel gave? Is that what the passage says the angel said? No. So what did he say? He said, quite simply, your prayer has been heard. 
you will have a son. There was no condition. Zechariah didn't have to sow a seed or any of that nonsense. It was God's will that he would have a son and so a son he would have. Now that's another thing as well. You remember that just a few minutes ago I said that these people tend to teach that it's always God's will for you to be healed. What that means in the context of the rest of their teaching is that when you don't sow enough of a seed or have enough faith, God is actively preventing his own will from being carried out by not healing you. You messed up and so now he is going to go against his own divine counsel. I mean, like, that's obviously ridiculous. If God wants people healed, he will heal them. If he wants them sick, he will make them sick. He has his reasons for doing what he does, and I can't pretend to know what they are. But I doubt he would choose to make sick someone whom he had wanted to heal because of the person's own shortcomings. God's will is not dependent on us. Or is it? Well, it's quite an interesting discussion with an interesting answer. Uh, that is, of course, that the answer is interesting if you happen to be a heretic. Now, if you know, love and worship the one true God, then the answer is a simple no. But if you have absolutely no idea what you're on about, then you might believe in what I'm about to describe. You see, there is this idea going around that God relies on us in order to do his will on earth. When we pray, we allow him to work. Aren't we great? Now, even the audience members of the prosperity gospel preachers aren't so comically and ridiculously stupid as to fall for that. So the preachers must try and find a way to get around their own made-up nonsense. Usually they come up with something like, well, God has uh, the authority, but you have to give him the permission. Here's the thing. If you have authority over something, that leads to you having certain permissions. In the same way that a father's authority over a son gives him permission to house and raise that son, God's supreme and ultimate authority gives him the permission to do, and I'm not exact, uh, exaggerating when I say this, literally anything and everything he wants to. Their cop out to their own blunder falls down before it has any real chance to stand up. But it's good enough for those stupid enough, or as is often the case, desperate enough to point um, to the point of ignoring their own reason you know, to fall for. Now, I know I've made it seem like everyone who falls for this stuff is stupid. Everyone who falls for the word faith movement or other such cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever it might be, um, they're all idiots, right? Well, in all fairness, no, that isn't the case. Imagine you are um, a father or a son, or, or, or a mother even, a father or a mother. And you have a son, or a daughter, or whatever it is. You have a child, and it's a young child, and they're sick, and they're dying. And you know they're dying. And you take them to the hospital, to the doctors, everything. They can't seem to save them. You know your child is going to die. And then all of a sudden, this well-dressed man, he comes up to you wearing a nice pinstripe suit, whatever it is. And he says, I see you're hurting. Would you like to have your pain taken away? Would you like for your child to be healed? I was 
poor and God healed me of my poorness, if you will. Um, you know, all you have to do is sow a seed, believe, and he will bless you greatly. You want proof? Well, here I am. I'm your proof. Look at me. I'm very well to do. I started off like you. I put in, I put my seed in. I, I, I gave a seed, whatever it is, I gave money. I had faith and now look at me. Well dressed, living in a fancy house with a fantastic car. Why don't you come on and I'll, 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 I'll make sure that this gets fixed. Of course, it's not me who does anything. It's God. But, you know, you have to give me the money. Is that woman stupid? Because she wants to save her son and she's desperate enough to try anything? Or that man, mother, father, whatever it was. Are they stupid for their desperation? No. No, they're not. They make a choice that a person who is thinking completely rationally would never make. But they're not thinking rationally, not because of a lack of intelligence, but because of a lack of options. And a lot of time, a lack of time. They're not idiots. They're desperate. That's why the prosperity gospel is so big in places like the, the poorer parts of Africa. The people there aren't stupider than anyone else, but like I say, they're a lot poorer than others. And because they're poorer, they're more desperate. Because they're more desperate, they're more willing to believe this crap. And that's why the prosperity gospel is so massive over there. We often think of it as an American sort of thing. And it's massive in America. That's true. It's also massive over in the poor parts of Africa. Excuse me. But it's not, their, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Look, when, when someone is scammed, you don't blame the person who's scammed. You don't blame the victim. You blame the scammer. When someone says, pay me and you'll get whatever you want, obviously they'll have a much more convincing um, sales pitch when they actually do it. They won't just come out and say that. But when someone comes with that general message and makes it seem believable, if you're in certain situations, it makes sense to want to believe that. But that isn't what the Bible teaches. Look, don't you think that had the angel said to Zechariah, Hey, Zechariah, when you are done worshipping, go home, collect your most valuable things, and then bring them back here as an offering, and then you shall have your child, that Zechariah would have spent every moment just waiting anxiously to go home so that he could go and gather up everything he owned and give it as an offering? Of course he was. Of course he would have. That's what cult leaders tell their followers to do. That is not what God tells his children to do. Now, Let's look at the idea of worldly blessings. That is, blessings of the sort of caliber that the prosperity crowd promises. Truth is, God has granted such blessings to his people. If we go to Job chapter 42, verses 10 to 17, it says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and ate bread with him in his house, and, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And that word evil, by the way, could also be just translated as disaster. Let's not get any confusion here god is not evil so better translation might be all the disaster that the lord had brought upon him and each of them gave him a piece of money 
and the ring of gold again that word for money it's a, a coin that had a certain value we don't know what the value was so he could have been getting a little bit or an awful lot we don't really know and the lord blessed the latter days of job more than his beginning and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of his first daughter Jemima, and the name of his second Kezia, and the name of his third Karen Hapuk. Fantastic names. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived a 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. So we know that God can and sometimes does bless his people in that sort of a way. So then the prosperity gospel has got that right, doesn't it? Nope, not at all. You see... The God of the prosperity gospel says, It is my will that all of my people be rich and healthy, providing, of course, they meet the necessary standard of faith and seed planting. Oh, and also make sure to allow me to do it because otherwise I just can't. All right, cheers. That's not what the God of the gospel, the true gospel says. The God of the true gospel says, I will bless who I see fish when I see fish, as I see fish. The God of the prosperity gospel relies on you. The God of reality relies on no one and no thing. He chose to bless Job, not because Job had done what he needed to do in order to deserve the blessing, but because God wanted to do it in his divine mercy, kindness, love, compassion, and grace. He decided to bless Job. And we have all these sort of ideas, these incorrect ideas of God. This idea, oh, God just has a man-shaped hole in his heart. No, he doesn't. God is whole. He is complete. He is full. He is perfect without us. He doesn't have a man-shaped hole in his heart. Does he love man? Absolutely. He would be just fine without us. And actually, going back quickly, before I forget, um, remember how I was saying that these people teach that you need to give God permission to, um, to do stuff on earth? If I remember correctly, God created man on the sixth day. Now, he didn't ask man for permission to create man, and he didn't ask man for permission to do all the stuff that he did before that, because man wasn't there. So then why was God allowed to do that stuff then? Or was he? And if not, why did he do it? And if he was, why isn't he now? Why isn't he allowed to interfere now? Just something to think about, I suppose. And another way of disproving this sort of this nonsense. Now, going back to Job, of course, look, all these riches, they weren't Job's true blessing. No. Instead, Job's true blessing was that blessing that God owes no one but has promised to everyone who would repent and believe the gospel that blessing is forgiveness god has promised to forgive your sins only if you repent and believe the gospel now he doesn't promise his people this because we deserve it he promises his people 
this because he wants to. He made this promise because he wanted to. He wants to forgive sinners. Ezekiel 33:11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God wants to forgive his people, those whom he elects based on the divine counsel of his own will, of their sins. We cannot earn it. He chooses us, and once he does, it changes us. We can't sow a seed to such an extent that God forgives us of our sins. We can't have so much faith that God forgives us. He forgives us because he wants to, because he chooses to. Now, I don't know who's going to hear this, so I don't know whether or not you, the listener, are saved. But what I do know is that if you pray to a God who promises you health, wealth and prosperity, then you pray to a God who isn't there to hear you. There is one God. He, and he alone, has the power to forgive you of your sins. And that is the real blessing that comes from having true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. People often say that you must ask God into your heart. Truth is, he's already there. He's the one who makes it tick. Others say you should make God the Lord of your life. Again, he's way ahead of you on that one. I'm not going to ask you to make God into anything or ask God into anything. I'm going to ask you to repent of your sins and beg him for forgiveness. And the Bible says that God is good to forgive sins. You are a sinner. Accept it. Repent and believe. I hope you've enjoyed this um, and you've liked listening to it. Most of all, I hope you found it edifying. Um, thank you for joining me on this study through Luke. We did go off on a bit of a tangent, um, I suppose, really. It was more so just about the prosperity gospel than specifically what was going on in the verse. But I think it was um, warranted. I think it was fair enough. And I certainly think it was maybe a little bit better of a decision than going off on the whole casting lots tangent. And uh, I went on in one of the first few episodes of this. So... Look, I hope, like I say, you found this um to be edifying. And like I said before, we're I'm probably not going to be able to make them as these videos as much as I always have, or as much as I uh, did in the first week. I'm going to keep trying to do them semi regularly, and I'm going to try my best, rightly divide the word of God and bring you the truth. Thank you for listening. God bless. Goodbye. Hope you join me next time.